the Irish Times business podcast in association with Irish Life. We're here to support your company and your employees now and in the future. We know Irish Life. We are Irish Life. Hello and welcome to the Irish Times Business Podcast. This is Wednesday, July 13th. I'm Kieran Hancock. And on this week's show, we'll be pondering Ireland's 26% economic growth rate in 2015. Is this really a case of leprechaun economics, as suggested by Nobel Prize winning economist Paul Krugman? We'll be putting that question to Cliff Taylor, Omber Kennedy and Joe Brennan in a f- few moments. Later, we'll be looking at the astonishing success behind the revival of Nintendo's Pokemon characters. Why are grown men and women wandering the streets in search of these virtual reality characters? Kiro Brian and Connor Pope will explain all in the second half of the show. Don't forget, you can subscribe to this podcast on iTunes and it's also available from our website, irishtimes.com. But we'll start with the CSO's release on Tuesday of Ireland's national accounts. They showed that our GDP grew by an astonishing 26.3% in 2015, well ahead of the previous estimate of 7.8%. Our GNP, which strips out the effect of multinational repatriations, rose by 18.7% versus a prior estimate of 5.7%. It's also been another mixed week on the markets for some Irish stocks with Grafton Group and Abbey both flagging up the potential impact of Brexit on their businesses. Joining me in the studio to tease out the relevance of this data is Cliff Taylor, business editor of the Irish Times, market correspondent Joe Brennan and business reporter Owen Burke Kennedy. Cliff Taylor, we'll start with yourself. Let's take this CSO 26.3% economic growth figure for 2015. Fact or fiction? Well, in terms of what's happening in, in the real economy, it's clearly fiction. Uh, nobody believes that the economy grew by 26% last year in any kind of real sense. What was uh, the figure then? Well, it's impossible to give you a, an exact figure, but one reasonable estimate might be the, the amount that consumer spending grew. Now, consumer spending is only one part of the economic picture, but it's not a bad gauge because it shows people's confidence, it reflects people's incomes, it reflects rising employment. It rose by about 4.5% last year. It's running about 5% ahead this year. That kind of feels so about right. That kind of fe- that, that kind of feels about right. I suppose the difficulty here is that the CSO drew up the figures, uh, you know, on a, on a perfectly correct basis. So there is a way to count the figures. It is an internationally accepted way of doing it. Uh, it is the way the EU, the OECD, all the all the national uh, the, the, all the national statistics are done, and it's important we do them the same as everyone else for comparative purposes. But the problem is that we have. Uh, you know, a lot of big multinational companies operating mm. in our small economy, and that has really distorted the figures. You know, it causes. I mean, we had no prior warning of this. No, and I think that's one of the awkward things from the CSO's point of view. Mm. These figures go back to the first quarter of last year. In other words, the revisions go back to the first quarter of last year, and, and we've already had estimates for for for, for the first for all of last year from the CSO. So I think, the, you know, the CSO can legitimately ask, well, why, you know, why wasn't yeah. the flag raised earlier here, particularly given the extent of the revisions? Now, in, in the release, the CSO said a lot, look, a lot of new information has come to hand from the tax authorities, from tax returns, from big companies and, and, and various other sources that they hadn't had before. But nonetheless, it is an extraordinary change, to, you know, to, to come up with and I think has led to very legitimate uh, yeah. questioning internationally. Umber Kennedy, you were at the CSO's uh, briefing around these uh, figures. What reasons were they giving for this huge jump in the numbers? Yeah, interesting enough, the CSO wasn't very explicit about the reasons for the sharp spike in GDP, uh, and that's because it involves a small handful of big multinationals, and I suppose detailed explanations might have given kind of strong hints to the identities involved. But in a nutshell, there's about four dynamics that we have, have kind of pinpointed that seem to be going on underneath the hood of, of the Irish economy, if you like. 
Some companies in the tech and pharma space have relocated their intellectual property assets here amid the global clampdown on uh, multinational tax avoidance. Now, a, a prime example of this was Apple, who located, uh, relocated, I should say, part of its uh, IP here last year, and that's obviously um, having a big impact on the economy given the size of the company involved. Another factor relates to what we call contract uh, manufacturing. This is where a firm here engages a third party abroad to manufacture product on its behalf. Now, in some cases, uh, this product doesn't even touch uh, the ground here, but it's still included in our exports. Um, a third reason uh, appears to uh, relate to activity in the aircraft leasing space. Uh, we know of one company, Aircap, for example, which uh, redomiciled assets worth in the region of 39 billion here last year. Massive impact on an, uh, on an economy of Ireland's size. And then finally, uh, which has probably been in the media most, uh, relates to the spate of uh, tax inversion deals, which the White House have subsequently clamped down on. But there was a number of them um, in the last in the last two years. Uh, one in particular uh, involved U.S. Uh, pharma giant Medtronic, which moved to Ireland during the period through a merger with rival uh, Covidian in a type worth $48 billion. So you can mm. see the metrics involved are, are pretty huge. And for an economy that's kind of had a GDP in total of $215 billion, it's going to have a sizable ripple effect. Yeah. Cliff, we're not the only country where uh, contract manufacturing uh, is an issue or uh, aircraft leasing mm. is a, you know, a big player in the market or uh, you have these IP patents being moved around and, and so on. So, I mean, wh- why is it just Ireland that seems to have had this explosion in its uh, GDP as opposed to, I don't know, the Netherlands or Luxembourg or some of these other countries? Yeah, it's a good question. Uh, it, it seems, uh, as Owen said, to have relate to a few things coming together uh, at once. And a lot of it relates to this, this international pressure on big multinational companies to move things out of tax havens. So a lot of these companies would have had their intellectual property housed in tax havens before uh, as a way of channeling money out of European and non-American markets and back to uh, back to tax, ha- tax havens where no tax was generally payable unless the money was uh, eventually repatriated to the US. So part of this seems to relate to the, uh, to the pressure on these companies to, I suppose, clean up their affairs, to move out of tax havens. Ireland has been a, a European home to a lot of these companies and we seem to have been a place, therefore, that they chose to, mm. to, to locate their IP. It doesn't bring huge benefits to the to, to our economy, our underlying economy. It doesn't and it would seem that the jobs. Department of Finance and the Central Bank and, and other state institutions mm. don't think it's very helpful to have these uh, figures in the national accounts. No, not at all. Uh, I think the, the other then the other factor is 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 the is the tax inversion deals, uh, such as the Medtronic one, which which would not be welcomed by the authorities because they create very little. I, I think you're right, and I think from the point of view of the authorities here, they. Department of Finance, Central Bank, the NTMA, they create two problems. One is, in terms of national planning, how do we plan the budget? How do we plan spending money? Uh, how do we plan our whole economic and, and, and financial policy when we really don't know how the economy is doing? We really don't have a proper measure of, of the burden of our debt against GDP. Uh, and we're really up in the air about how fast the economy is growing and maybe how, how, how close we are to our full capacity. Uh, so so it's, a real, it's a real conundrum in terms of, of, of planning government policy. And also, I suppose, in terms of the expectations that may be built up in certain sections of society. People say, look, the economy is flying along. Public servants should be paid more. We should be spending money right, left and centre. Exactly. 
And then the second issue is internationally, because international analysts will look at this and they say, look, this is, this is nonsense. Mm. And Paul Krugman, I mean, did call it leprechaun Lepre- economics. Maybe a little unfair, because I mean, the figures are the figures, the figures are calculated properly. But, you know, it, it is a, it's, it's a reasonable reaction when you look at the figures. They're, they yeah. clearly don't reflect what's going on. They will lead to, you know, international questioning, I think, from investors and also from the international institutions like the Commission that keep an eye on Ireland. It's like, what's really going on here? You know, what is the actual state of the Irish economy? And so should we have a set of parallel accounts which tell the story of the real yeah, economy? Yeah, it's difficult. I mean, this is, this is the difficulty, I suppose. You, you could say that. And for, for some years, people tended to focus on the GNP figures because they stripped out profit but repatriation. But even they were out of, out of whack. Even they're out of whack as well because there are other things going on beyond profit mm. repatriation. So, yes, we should. But what exactly that should be, I think, is going to, is going to, is, isn't a difficult thing to come up because you need to... We need to develop some indicators. We also need to sell them internationally yeah. as presenting a picture of the economy because the other, I suppose, unfortunate thing here is this comes in the middle of a lot of international controversy about taxation, about multinational profit repatriation, uh, profit taxation and the Apple decision from the EU Commission, which is believed to be imminent. Right. And again, this plays into the whole story internationally that Ireland is, 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 a, is a, a scene for corporate tax dodging. Uh, Owen, uh, do yeah, you get any wonder, sense that this this well, is a, a one-off, or well, it's, are, are it we seems going to see this it year seems on to year be on year? referred to as a one-off by by the C, uh, CSO. But just in terms of the, the kind of accurate uh, metric for reflecting the kind of true velocity of Irish uh, Ireland's economy. Former central bank governor Patrick Holman spent, I, I think, most of last year in every speaking engagement making the point that the true velocity of Ireland's recovery was reflected in employment growth, which is about two and a half to three percent year on year. And I suppose that's that's mm. worth uh, kind of um, noting. Yeah. At yesterday's launch, just one final anecdote, which I, well, I thought was quite funny. Friends first economist Jim Power uh, stood up and said, "How could he? He's due to give a speech on on Ireland's uh, economy mm. in, in London, and he said, how could I possibly stand over uh, GDP growth of twenty six percent? I'll look yeah. like a fool.' So I, th- I think he's had to pull that slide from his presentation. <laughs> actually, he's making it to the British Irish uh, Trade Association. Joe Brennan, it's been another interesting week on on the markets. Uh, Brexit continues to hang over, particularly in an Irish context. We have Graf and Group, the Merchant Builders Merchanting Company, with significant operations in the UK. Uh, it's been telling us that Brexit is likely to dampen demand for new housing and home improvements for the remainder of the year in the UK, which is its most important market. And we have uh, House Builder Abbey. Uh, it accompanied a better than expected annual profit w- by warning that the impact of Brexit has clouded the outlook for the business in both the UK and Ireland. Uh, what, what impact is that having on the markets? Yeah, I suppose um, the, the the reaction in the markets to Brexit was kind of sharp and swift and brutal at the time. It's particularly only for the Irish stock market. Particularly for the Irish stock market. Um, we're down 9%. The Isaac is down 9% um, versus where it was um, at, at the time of the of the UK referendum versus the FTSE 100, which uh, ironically is up nearly 6%. Yeah, but the FTSE 100 doesn't necessarily capture... No, and the thing about that is... Domestic I mean, UK it, demand. Well, first of all, you have uh, sterling and obviously exports. You have huge exporters. Um, you have kind of safe haven type companies like uh, British American Tobacco, Diageo, Royal Dutch Shell. These would be big Very kind of dollar companies, earners, yeah. international companies. It's kind of more reflected maybe in the So FTSE the FT, uh, the FTSE 250, I think, is a better It's more representative of... The, and how's that been performing? Yeah, it, it's, it's fared much better than the Irish market. is down about 3%. Um, right. But I suppose, yeah, so we saw a, a, a dramatic fall in, in the Isaac immediately after after the, the, the referendum. Mm. You had analysts coming out downgrading their forecasts for, for various companies across the board, and you also had... Um, uh, you had, uh, you had, you didn't have very much by way of, of companies coming out, and that's only happened more recently.
recently in, in, in recent days from companies. We're getting interim results. We're in that kind of phase. Yeah, the we're having kind of a trading updates from, from companies. And uh, Grafton was out yesterday. And uh, if you look at the top line figures, it looks kind of pretty rosy. You see revenues up 13% to 1.23 uh, billion sterling. Now, it reports in sterling these days. Um, but if you kind of look deeper into the figures, you see where, where, where problems are, are emerging. The, the UK merchanting uh, business, which is about 72, 73% of the overall business. We tend to look at Grafton as Woody's, but actually the big part of the business is in the UK uh, trade sector. And you see that uh, the, the, the rate of like-for-like growth in sales has declined dramatically uh, as the year has progressed. It was 5.3% in the first quarter, uh, down to 1.6% in the second quarter. And actually in June itself, it turned negative. Um, yeah, so there's... The, the, and Abby, what about Abby? Abby, um, fantastic set of results. I mean, analysts were very surprised with the results, up 25% uh, to 61.5 uh, million uh, euros for the year to the end of April. Um, decent enough UK sales, um, but they have flagged that there is a, the whole issue of Brexit to cast a, a shadow uncertainty on the, the outlooks for both the UK mm. and, the, and, and the Irish property markets. And it's pretty bearish in terms of the, the London market and South East England market. It says uh, Brexit, depending on how it's handled uh, and what the, the, what the ultimate result will be, um, will face a prolonged period of gradual decline. Yeah, and of course, uh, CNC uh, also expressed some negativity uh, last week. Would it yeah, and CNC were first out of of the Irish companies uh, in terms of uh, and CNC is a big exposure to British. Fifty percent of the profits are in sterling, so you have a, a translation effect from the very outset. Um, and they said that basically uh, the 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 the, um, the the impact of Brexit could undo all the good that they've seen in the last number of months uh, in terms of an increase in, in sales and also the the results of restructuring. The They've spent a lot of time restructuring over the last uh, year or so. They're saying, but then again, they see some silver linings. Uh, One of the silver linings is that maybe in the UK, they could obviously um, uh, targets, takeover targets are are cheaper by virtue of the fact that the the sterling has depreciated against the euro. Um, They also actually, um, we think of uh, them um, buying most of their apples in the Republic. Actually, most of the apples for the Clonmel facility are bought in Northern Ireland and they're sterling dominated. So that's a help to the company as well. Okay, good. Uh, now, and I suppose one stock that everybody's going to be keeping an eye on is Bank of Ireland. A lot of people still have uh, shares in their bottom drawer, if you like. Uh, and of course, the taxpayer is still 14, a 14% shareholder in Bank of Ireland. They've got interim results out at the end of this month, and they have a big exposure to the UK. Yeah, um, of all the Irish banks, it is the most exposed to the UK. About 43% of their loan book is, is based in, in, in the UK. The, the stock has been showed off fairly sharply uh, since Brexit as well. There is um, a kind of rising kind of expectation that uh, even though um, Richie Boucher, the CEO, flagged a number of months ago that they expect to start paying a small dividend next year, uh, a number of analysts are saying now that that is less likely to be the case. Not that they, the company is not profitable, not that it's not increasing its, its its capital. It's just that the board may take a view given the uncertainty. That it needs to hunker the, down. That it needs to, you know, hold on to capital rather than kind of mm-hmm. uh, divvying it out to shareholders. Even though the last time the shareholders got anything from the the company was two thousand and eight. Yeah, uh, Cliff. There's no doubt that Brexit has weighed on Irish stock prices uh, over the past uh, couple of weeks, particularly on the bank shares, Bank of Ireland, and permanent TSB both down um, sharply. Yeah. You know, there might be a counter view to all of this that now is a good time to uh, to buy stocks in these companies. Indeed, yeah. If you believe in the fundamental story. 
if if you do, uh, it's a very tricky one to call. If you look at the even the international bank shares over the last few weeks, huge falls after Brexit. The Italian banks, in particular, mm. big bounce back since. Um, you know, partly on rumours of a rescue plan initially being agreed, partly just on a general change in sentiment. It's it is it is very difficult. I think, in terms of the overall valuation of the of the market. You, you would wonder a bit about the bounce we've seen in international large markets over the last week or so. There was the big fall after Brexit, you know, a, a, a big kind of relief rally. You would still think there are UK economies heading for a recession. That's going to affect a lot of British companies, albeit maybe not the ones in the FTSE 100. It's going to affect a lot of Irish companies. Those realities are going to sink into the market, I think, for sure. That said... Uh, I'm sure, as you say, there are stocks if, if, if for, for the brave, and uh, that that probably are getting hit in the in in, in the watch that, that that will bounce back. Uh, you know, Bank of Ireland does appear now to have a solid business. Uh, mm. Still concerns about permanent TSP though over its indeed, indeed, yeah, market. and of course, mm. the, you know, the the sentiment around the whole banking sector is has been soured now. There, you know, there there is nervousness internationally. Yeah, and Joel, actually, maybe you can take up that point because eight years on from the crash, here we are worrying about the Italian banks. Yeah, um, I suppose it's been kind of death by a thousand cuts for the Italian banks. It has been a delayed thing. It's been talked about for years, but now we're at a kind of a, it's a flashpoint, certainly uh, in the Eurozone banking sector at the moment. Italian banks, uh, it's it's ironic, unlike the the, the Irish situation where taxpayers, and there's a lot of outcry about uh, the the, the cost of bailing out banks uh, not being shared with bondholders. We have the reverse the case in Italy. You have a very kind of reticent Italian government uh, about sharing losses uh, of banks because they're going to have to inject uh, state capital into, into, into Italian banks um, but they're very reticent to, to do uh, to, to comply with the new EU rules that would uh, would yeah would 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 force uh, bondholders to take part and, and and share the losses of the Italian banks. And what about depositors? Are they going to have? Well, to the share big some reason the, the big reason why they're so reticent about this is about two hundred billion uh, euros of bonds are held by normal mom and pop retail investors. Uh, that's about a third of the overall um, uh, bonds uh, that are held. Yeah, that, that doesn't Italian play banks. well politically. Obviously. It's the exact opposite of what, what yeah. happened in, in the Irish case. And actually, the problem there is if they if they end up um, having to uh, share the losses with bondholders that would play into the hands to, of populist parties when the, when the Italian government is trying to get a constitution reform by referendum later on this year. Yeah, sure. Um, Cliff, uh, just today being Wednesday, um, the government released its mid-year expenditure mm-hmm. report. Uh, the Minister for Public Expenditure and Reform, uh, Pascal Donoghue, suggesting that there might be a bit more to spend out to 2021. Um, but also some warnings in there about perhaps uh, health spending and, and other areas um, that need to be, you know, yeah. we need to keep an eye on. Yeah, a couple of things struck me looking at the figures. I suppose first of all is to say that the two ministers, uh, Michael Noonan and Pascal Dunne, who are presenting the figures, t- taking a reasonably cautious view, saying, look, we'll stick with our growth estimates for this year, four and a half, five percent for and three and a half percent. Roughly beyond that, for the for the period out to twenty twenty one, these are the figures that the these are the growth figures, if you like, that the financial estimates are made on. Uh, you know, they're they're not being adjusted because of the the CSO figures. Um, so so I, I guess that's good. What one of the striking things I think looking at the figures is we're talking about spending going up by about three percent next year and three and a half percent on average on the period out to twenty twenty one. That isn't a, that isn't a huge amount. Uh, and it strikes me that you know difficult choices are going to have to be made, particularly when you take it that you know there's going to be 
demographic pressures that are going to lead to automatic increases in spending. And if you read the report, albeit written in Department of Finance speak, uh, there's a lot of talk about the need to prioritise, the need to take a long-term view on fixing various problems, uh, and, the, and the need to, to pick and choose. And in the current political environment, mm, it's not uh, I think that's going to be very difficult. You've seen the row about A&Es this week when the government has been forced to say, look, we're not going to close any. And, and one of the interesting things I... One of the interesting point that, points that's made in the report is that looking out to 2021, the fiscal space, if you like, is going to is, is 11 billion. It's an estimated 11 billion, which isn't a huge amount, particularly when you take into account that the amount that's going to be spent over that period is 280 billion. So you know we're, we spend a lot of time arguing over three or four percent of the total, when a lot of the spending just you know just 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 chunters on from year to year, but in the political environment we're in at the moment, it's very difficult to make savings from the two hundred and eighty yeah. to to increase the. To Mind increase you, there the, is a provision for a rainy day fund in here, there isn't is there? From two thousand nineteen. Yeah, yeah, that's right. So so they, so they want to wait till they meet their EU target of reducing the structural deficit balancing as they the call, budget, balancing the budget more or less. Once they meet that, then they're, they're, they're going to start putting money aside in, in, into that fund, about, about a billion a year. That's that's the plan anyway. Uh, so, you know, nothing irresponsible about the figures. They do see the public finances continue to improve. But the really big issue, I think, is going to be where is the money going to come from to improve public services? And again, there's a lot of talk in the document about improving the quality of spending, improving the efficiency of spending. But reform is difficult. Reform means pain for some people, so there are gains for others. And in the current political environment, that is not not easy to deliver. Okay, we'll see how that plays out. My thanks to Cliff Taylor, Joe Brennan and Umber Kennedy for joining me. Uh, we'll take a short break now and return with the revival of Nintendo's Pokemon, the video game franchise that exploded onto our screens in the mid-1990s. At Irish Life, we can tell you that 49% of employees in Ireland don't think about tomorrow. They don't have a pension plan. We can help you help them. Because if you're involved in running your company's pension plan, we can administer it for you. With our member-specific investment solutions, online access for employers, trustees and members, and always-on smartphone apps. Just call one of our corporate team on 01704-1845. Visit irishlifecorporatebusiness.ie or contact your pension consultant to find out how we can help your company think of tomorrow. We know Irish Life. We are Irish Life. Irish Life Assurance PLC is regulated by the Central Bank of Ireland. All information source for Irish Life, September 2014. Now, welcome back. Uh, after a few years of lying relatively low, Pokemon is making a bit of a comeback around the world. It's called Pokemon Go and it involves augmented reality. The aim of the game, launched last week, is to find and capture virtual Pokemon characters that are hiding in the real world. This involved a lot of grown men and women wandering the streets trying to locate Pokemon characters via GPS on their smartphones. If they're successful, their phone screen shows a Pokemon character overlaid on a video feed of the real world. I kid you not. I'm joined in studio by Irish Times consumer affairs expert Connor Pope and by phone by Kira O'Brien, who covers all things technology for us to explain this global phenomenon. Kira, we might start with yourself. Uh, can you explain the backdrop to the revival of Pokemon and why it has become so phenomenally successful over the past week or so? Well, Pokemon is basically turning 20 years old. It's been churning out games for a while, uh, usually for something like the 3DS, which is Nintendo's handheld games console. The The difference now is it's mobile. The Pokemon Go phenomenon, it basically takes augmented reality uh, it takes animated characters, mixes it with the real world, turns it into augmented reality, and it kind of taps into two things, I suppose, people's uh, willingness to get out and collect things and the fact that everybody has a smartphone. It's effectively a big treasure hunt, a virtual reality treasure hunt. 
It is effectively a virtual reality treasure hunt, yes. I mean, what you do is you open the app and you see uh, an animated rendering of the world around you. So it's pretty much like looking at Google Maps, except very cartoon style. And as you walk, your avatar walks and you see little leaves and uh, little kind of a little bit of commotion going on. Or there's poker stops where you can collect items that will help you ha- capture Pokemon. There's gyms where you can battle, but as you walk along, basically you'll come into contact with different Pokemon. You have to capture them. And when you go in to capture them, what it does is it, you can turn on the, the AR, you can turn it off, but mainly uh, the AR function will show you this little animated character in the real world. So it's it kind of it mixes the virtual and real worlds very well. I mean, it's not like, if, if you're looking at it in terms of, is it the best game? No, it's not the best game. At the moment, it's it's beset with problems. I mean, the, the servers are overloaded because it's quite a bit more popular, I think, than the makers thought it would be. Uh, so they've actually had to limit the rollout of it. So it's not actually officially available in Ireland at the moment, uh, though with a bit of um, technical wrangling, you can actually get it. Uh, but even though it's not available here, there's so many people who are actually playing it. My, my sister, who is usually one of the major refuseniks of anything like this, uh, downloaded Pokemon Go onto her phone and actually spotted uh, a guy and his son out with their phones, crouched down in the grass, and she figured that uh, anything, it had to be Pokemon Go. Okay, and of course it looks weird to passers-by because while you may see this character on your phone, you don't obviously see it in the real world, so you just see somebody wandering around with a phone uh, looking a bit odd. Exactly. I mean, I had to kind of check myself uh, the other night because I genuinely considered uh, in the absolute lashings of rain going out to find what I suspected was a Pikachu lurking near my house. Obviously, common sense prevailed. I didn't do it. But you can see like, the, in the States in particular, there's been a couple of places that have been wrongly identified as gyms or places that have been tagged as Pokestops because the Pokestops are just landmarks. So in Dublin, say the Haypenny Bridge is a Pokestop. But also there's a Tidy Towns plaque somewhere in uh, south of Dublin that's also a Pokestop, which has got to be the worst landmark ever. But, you know, what can you do? This is what they're picking up. Now, there is talk of them doing sponsored or paid for um, locations in the future, which I think would be a a kind of an interesting business model. Yeah, OK, we'll come come on to the revenue model in a few moments. But uh, Connor Pope, uh, while Kira was talking us through that and and sharing some of her excitement for this game with us, uh, you were nodding your head uh, dismissively and and sighing and uh, huffing and puffing here. So I I get the sense that you're not a fan of this. Well, I've just come back from an hour and a half long poker haunt, Pokemon haunt. Uh, I've walked the streets of Dublin. I've collected 225 poker balls. Um, and I didn't see a single Pokemon. Now, I have been playing the game for 24 hours because I didn't want to just dismiss it out of hand without having a first-hand uh, experience with it. And I should say, for the sake of full disclosure, that I wouldn't have had the chance to have a first-hand experience of it had it not been for Kira, who did the technical wrangling for me, and she got me <coughs> set up with the, with the system. So uh, on the way into work this morning, I came across three or four Pokemon, which was hugely exciting for me, as you can imagine. You're walking into work, and suddenly outside a shop, there's this little... Zubat was it a Zubat here is there a Zubat so I uh, suddenly I found myself stopping in the middle of a road furiously scrolling up to try and kill or capture I think I don't think you killed them actually I was trying to kill kill them them. but you capture them them. (laughs) trying to to capture this this Zubat Pokemon and then I walked into town and I came across another couple I was paying for coffee across in the the insomnia across from the Irish Times and as, as I was handing over the cash some poxy Pokemon appeared and I had to stop everything and try and get it and then we decided we'd go and we'd you know, spend an hour and a half hunting the things. So we went from the Irish Times down around Trinity College, down Grafton Street, 
up by the green, up past the Dole and then up around Pierce Street. And the, the terribly sad thing for me was that the only thing that happened was my battery drained. It died. It was 80% when I left the Irish Times. An hour and a half of solid playing of this game, and I'm using inverted commas, it, 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 the battery had completely drained. Um, I, 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 I criticised the game on social media earlier on in the week and I was rounded upon by all of these people who were saying, what are you? Are you against joy? What's wrong with going, outsi- going outside and walking around and meeting people and having, and having a life? And on one level, you can think, OK, any game, any computer game that gets you off your couch and gets you out and about is a good thing. But I found that when I was playing the game, you're out and about, but you're not actually in the real world because you're staring at your, compu- at, at your phone screen. So you might be passing all of these wonderful things, but you're not really paying any attention to them because you're looking at the screen. And the other thing that I have a real problem with is the phrase augmented reality. Now, I'm sure we've all, you've probably written about augment, augmented reality. Kira has, I have. Um, and it makes it conjures up images of... Total Recall, and I'm talking about the 1980s Total Recall, when, when everything was virtual reality and you would immerse yourself in, the, in, a, in a real world that was alternate. That's not what this augmented reality is at all. It's just terrible. The actual, the graphics are ridiculously simple and the whole experience, I just thought, left me really flat. And like... Yeah. The, just tell us, when you do capture uh, a Pokemon, I mean, wh- what does that do? Do you get some value out of it or...? You know, the, 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 the entertainment value is minimal, I have to tell you. Although... Is there a ranking of uh, yeah, Pokemon Yeah, you see, you, see, you, see you, you move up the ranks. So, you know, there's all sorts of different levels. It's like any computer game. And uh, so, you know, you start off at level one and then I'm, I'm on level three now, which I think makes me a rubbish Pokemon hunter. But, you know, Kira's but already on 50. Until you hit level five. I know. And every time I come across a gym and that's when you're supposed to have a, you know, a toe-to-toe confrontation with some other person who looks after the gym or is the king of the gym or whatever nonsense nomenclature they're using so I came across a couple of gyms and this smarmy little animated character saying you're really not good enough to uh, take on this person in this gym yet so you know you 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 have that kind of letdown but you know the the, the problem I have with it is that it's it's just so utterly utterly banal Right, and uh, Kira, before I let you back in, uh, I, I need to just ask Connor if he uh, if he encountered any strange uh, looks from other passers-by as he was trying to get his Pokemon characters. Well, actually, that's the weird thing because, as you said at the, or end, maybe that's a daily reality <laughs> for you. I don't know. <laughs> as you said, the game is barely a week old. Yet, what was really striking about it was how many people knew exactly what I was doing when I was walking around the city centre. The guys who, the, 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 who, ro- who look after the horse and traps up on Stephen's Green, they knew what Pokemon Go was. People were walk- walking past me and they'd look at the phone and they'd look at me and they'd, they'd say to each other, oh, look at him, he's playing Pokemon Go. And then I met one family who were hunting for Pokemon, fellow Pokemon hunters like me. Um, and, you know, anything that creates a sense of community and anybody, anything that creates interaction between human beings isn't bad. You know, I think that's probably a good mm. thing. So I don't want to seem like I'm entirely down on it. But and the, the, it do, also does one other good thing that I think it, 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 it encourages you to collect these eggs and then you incubate the eggs by wa- walking certain distances. So I now have three eggs in incubation, but the first one won't hatch until I've walked five kilometres. Right. And then it can go up to so ten kilometres. So you're walking kilometers. home, I take it. <laughs> Obviously, because what it's doing is it's gamifying life in, this, in, in a way that fitness trackers have done. Because anybody who's got a Fitbit, you know, they will take the extra floor up to their office or they'll walk that, that you know, the extra distance into work because they want to build up their steps and they want to increase their rankings. And this kind of game... And this kind of augmented reality is going to do that. And if it does do that, and if it stops people leading a sedentary lifestyle, and if it puts them into contact mm. with other human beings, well, then it's a good thing. Yeah, uh, Kira, we've had uh, we've heard stories of all sorts of unintended consequences. I mean, there were two women in New Zealand 
who apparently hired a kayak uh, to get out to a fountain to ca- capture a, a Pokemon gym. Uh, stories of people yes. in America being mugged uh, by thieves who were lying away from them uh, at certain locations. Three men in Missouri apparently were charged with armed robbery, armed robbery last Sunday after they used the game to entrap victims and uh, reports of several gamers tripping over or falling off bikes or skateboards uh, while they're on hunts and obviously they're distracted. So there is um, there's a negative to all of this, isn't there? Look, there, there is, yeah. But the first thing that pops up when the game starts is a warning to be aware of your surroundings. And basically just don't head down and blindly go because you will end up in A&E because you'll fall into a ditch as some guy did when he broke his leg. There is a whole forum on Reddit de- dedicated to Pokemon Go stories. You know, the, the basically the, the weird things that have happened to people um, and like Connor says, yes, you do walk around and you are kind of paying attention to your phone. But I'd, I'd kind of, I'd, I'd come back on two things there. First of all, you're walking around for a lot of people, particularly uh, a lot of the stories you've seen coming out of the States is that people are saying, I did not get up and exercise. I spent four hours yesterday walking around looking for Pokemon. It's the first time I've actually done any kind of exercise in years. There's people saying that it's helped their mental health because it's help them get out of the house it's forced them to get out um and then on the other side of thing as of as for not kind of taking in your surroundings well i've got to be honest there was things that as i was i was on the bus the other day looking at all the different pokestops that were on my bus route i found out things i never knew about the area that i drive through every single day i pay absolutely no attention so it's actually taught me a little bit more about and obviously some of them are complete rubbish but you know there's just these little things like even driving down uh, camden street that you don't realise how many murals are around, but you do now because they're all Pokestops. So it's things like right. that. And I think that, yes, that you know, putting people in touch with each other and having people make a connection with each other is great. While there are some risks to it, and yes, you can get kind of lost in your own okay. little virtual world. Okay. So that's the same with everything. Connor, um, were, were you threatened by any muggers or mm. did you uh, did you trip and fall at any point? Uh, but no, but the cameraman who was filming me did, which was quite funny for me, but that's a different story. Um, no, there's a couple of things I, I'd say here. One, I take Kira's point entirely that th- I was walking through Temple Bar earlier on and I was, and it, one of the poker stops is, uh, and I think it's described as a cool head on the wall of a, of a building ups, uh, at the, just beside the Palace Bar. And I looked up and sure enough, there was a cool head on the wall. I'd never seen it before. So it did make me aware of that new thing. And on that level, it's a good. It, it, it's good. I do think there's something profoundly depressing about a world in which a game maker needs to warn players to pay attention to their to their surroundings as they walk around. I mean, what does that say about the evolution of our species? If game makers now feel compelled to say, "Oh, just when you're playing our game, make sure you look around you," because, like you know, at least they do. But they shouldn't they have to, Kira. That's the thing. How many? How ha- many people have bumped into you on the street looking at their phone because they're reading a text message? I think um, it was Steve Wozniak who did a. And, and ask me anything on, on Reddit. And he told a story about how he and Steve Jobs, when they were when they were in the early days, they wanted to do something that would, you know, would help people, say like, you know, put blind people on the same level as sighted people. And he kind of said, well, if you look around and you see people now, everybody is walking around looking down at their phone. So we kind of have actually done that. You know, people are unaware of their surroundings anyway. So because people are so hooked into their smartphones. So I suppose we may as well be playing a game. Well, do we, need to, do, we, do we need to have another reason to be looking at our smartphones? Are we not already sufficiently connected to them? Do we need Anna, something else? that's a wider else? question than Pokemon Go. Yeah. Okay, guys, uh, let's just focus maybe on, on how they're actually making revenue out of this. I know Nintendo's uh, share price uh, spiked in the past week or so. Nintendo is only one of the shareholders in all of this. But Kira, maybe you can just explain to us how they actually make some money from this. 
Well, the game itself is actually free, but like any free game, there's in-game items that you can buy. So if you want, you can buy extra eggs, you can buy extra items to help you catch Pokemon. People are actually spending money on this. You can also buy in-game items to help you evolve your Pokemon, which you're going to need if you want actually want to be one of these gym masters. You want to take over the world of Pokemon, you're going to have to have strong Pokemon to do it. Most people don't want to spend their time uh, trying to level up their Pokemon just by catching a million and one Pidgeys and Pidgeotos and, and doing it that way. It's far easier just to spend the, the money and the currency and uh, and boost it up. That's basically how they're, they're making the money. Okay, and Connor Pope, final uh, word to you. Do you think this is going to be a, a fad, uh, something that will pass in a short space of time? It will be a fad, but it will be replaced by something else. And I think augmented reality is going to be a serious part of our future. Right. Okay, we'll leave it there for this week from the Irish Times Business Podcast. My thanks to Cliff Taylor, Joe Brennan, Omar Kennedy, Kira O'Brien, and Connor Pope. Declan Conlon produced the show with Gary White as sound engineer. Don't forget you can get the latest business news straight into your inbox by signing up to our business today. Email at irishtimes.com. You can also follow the Irish Times Business feed on Twitter and Facebook. I'm Kieran Hancock. Until next time, take care.